0: One another, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap up coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we are just so thankful for how you're moving within the body of Christ, Lord. Help us to... In every situation, in every way, represent you by our words, thoughts, and actions. Lord, let us reach into the neighbor's lives. Let us reach into those lives that we have struggled with, Lord, that have come against us, Lord. And let us just continuously show the love of Christ. Lord, help us to hold back judgment. Help us to overcome the fears that just keep us from speaking your love into each other's lives, Lord. Help us to stand fast in your word, the map to all of it, Lord where you define yourself, not as the world defines yourself, but as you define yourself in your word. Let your spirit empower us, Lord, as we seek you out to know what you would do, have us do in your life as we go about our father's business. As our brother comes forth to reach into your word and to teach us, Lord, we just pray your anointing be upon him, and that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Isn't it a crazy world we live in? <clears throat> Seems like if it was right, you wouldn't have to pray over two young women who are facing pretty radical things in their life, huh? But it is not God's world yet. Man forfeited that. God gave it to us, and we, we found ourselves in debt To the devil. And so the devil took it because we couldn't pay the price. The Lord had declared the soul that sins shall die. And back in the beginning, that's what man chose. The Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam transgressed. That means Adam sinned. He knew what he was doing. He chose. And that choice has been with us ever since. The first murder was born of that choice, first disease, first illness, first struggles of many more since. But the scripture tells us in the book of Romans that though we were broken and we find ourselves under the condemnation of God, that God worked a miracle through his son, Jesus Christ, called the miracle of justification, where he made us. Just as if we'd never sinned, By faith in Christ, He saves us. We're justified, sanctified, we'll be glorified. We have security because there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can be secure in our relationship with Christ. As we worked our way through Romans, we, we saw not only the principles of the righteousness of God, but we also saw the problems, he, the election of Israel, dealing with that concept. and And then the rejection of Israel, and the receiving of the Gentiles, and ultimately look forward to the restoration of Israel. God still has a plan, He doesn't give up on people. Then we come to practical app in chapter 12. And the practical application of chapter 12 begins with the, the idea of understanding how do we then practice the righteousness of God? What does it look like in our life? Or maybe what should it look like in our life? He calls us in, the, in, in chapter 12, 1 and 2 to be dedicated. There's no other way to put it, right? Dedication, a living sacrifice, that's dedication. No climbing back off the altar. You're all His. And he, and he lays out for us the idea that dedication is portrayed or seen in the life of a believer in several ways. We're going to talk about through the next, all the way through chapter 15. First, He told us the, that we, it would be seen in the way we live for the Lord. That was verses 1 through 8, how we're going to live for the Lord, our dedication to Him. And in the section we find ourselves in today, this morning, it's seen in the love of God in our lives. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love, one for another. Now that's not that word love is not open for us to, to define. That's, God defines it. He defines it in 1 Corinthians 13 and in Romans 12. That's defined. You don't get to put a warm fuzzy on it. God tells you what it looks like. As we work our way through, not only are we going to see the love of God, we're going to see the law of God, we're going to see our freedom in Christ, and we're going to see our like-mindedness as we work our way all the way through the rest of, of, of Romans. This practical, what does this look like in my life? When I've been justified, sanctified, glorified, I have security in Christ. When I, when I recognize what I have in my faith in Jesus, this is how it looks. Why do you suppose he tells us that? I mean why, why tell us what it looks like? Because over and over again, man God is saying, do not deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. He says, don't deceive yourself, but but believe, put your faith in me. The idea, we've got it all in him. You know, I know there's poker players in here. it's in church, you don't have to pretend. no hypocrites. So it's all in, you're all in on Jesus, every chip you got. If you got a chip somewhere else, betting on something else, then you're not all in. All in, that Jesus wants all our heart, not just a piece, not just a part. And so he's going to talk to us this morning about the love of God. The love of God seen on our lives, given to us, and then Poured through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we might be able to recognize that. Let's look at verse 9. It says in Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. And hypocritos. Literally no hypocrite. It means that love be sincere. Let love be genuine. And then he goes on the rest of the way through the book to describe to us what that sincere, genuine, non hypocritical love looks like. He defines it for us. So he says, let this love, who's the the, the there's a definite article in the Greek, so it's literally let the love. Be without hypocrisy. So he's defined the love. It's gods. It's agapeo is the Greek word. It means self-sacrificing love. A love that gives everything for the sake of the one who is loved. We don't have a whole lot of that in the world. It doesn't matter what the commercials say or what people say. Sacrificing yourself for someone else wholly and completely and not expecting anything in return is a holy love. And that's the love that was demonstrated toward us in this that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That love should be evidenced in our life and not faked. That's the whole point. Let love be sincere. Now there are Twelve participles in the Greek. There's twelve adjectives, if you will. Twelve describing phrases that point to this love and tell us what it's like. So let's take a look at them. What does this love look like? Well, one of the first things we see is it's controlled by God's standards. Not by ours, by God's standards. What do I mean? He said right there in verse 9, Abhor what is evil. Literally, it's hate. Hate what is evil. The things that offend God, do they offend you? Or do the things that offend God do you look at it and say, Well, I don't really understand why that's so offensive. What's the big deal? Because the, the the sincere love, non hypocritical love, the love that gives all for the sake of the one who's loved, it, it hates evil. It doesn't hang out. Or stand around evil. It hates what God hates. And fortunately, God tells us what He hates. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it says, These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. Little Hebrew poetry. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift, running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Abhor what is evil. When God's heart breaks, does my heart break. The things God hates. Do I hate? It's not just one way. He begins with abhor what is evil or or hate those things that are evil. And, And really, if we look at this, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, all that stuff's happening in our world all day long and they call it right. They call it good. They call it your inalienable rights. For all men are created equal. sooner or later we're going to take that word out. You know which one I'm talking about? the one that says created. They're not going to keep that. What are those rights? If you look at Proverbs 6.16, you could say the opposite of all these things. You have the right to be proud. You have the right to say anything you want to say, wherever you want to say it. You have the right to shed innocent blood. That's the law of our land. Manasseh, the most wicked king... In Israel's history, ruled for 65 years because God was long-suffering and He was given Manasseh opportunity to repent. And Manasseh did something that God chose to bring judgment upon the whole nation for. Manasseh sacrificed children. He put babies on the altar and burned them. And after 65 years, Manasseh repented and God forgave him. But judgment still came. Because God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Abhor what is evil is half. But the next phrase says, cling to what is good. The Bible tells us for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That word joined is the same word, cleave. It literally means glued so abhor, hate what is evil, and cling, hold fast to what is good. To what is good. We want to cling. We want to hold on. We want to know that the things that God has for us that are good. Well, what are those good things? Every good and perfect thing pours out from our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ to you and I. Every good thing comes through Him. His Word declares every good thing. You want to cling to what's good? You don't have to think. I wonder what if this is good. Just pick up the Word and look at it. Just like it tells us what God hates, it tells us the things that are good. Love that is without hypocrisy. Sincere love. One of the characteristics of that sincere love is it hates evil. Secondly, it clings to what is good. It is is controlled by the Word of God. Then in verse 10, we see that love is careful of the feelings of others. Look, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. So this love that is not hypocritical, it treats others as family. You come to Calvary Chapel Buell, the first time we always say you're a visitor, after that, you're family. So that means if you see a mess, feel free to pick it up. Oh, that's how it works in my family. I come in the house the other day, you know, when it rained and didn't snow, I was so sad because it turned all my pretty white snow to mud. I can track snow in the house and I don't really get a lot of grief. But when I track mud in the house, then I hear this. You know we have a mudroom. <laughs> oh yeah, what's that for? That's where you take off your shoes. So you don't track mud in the house. We are to treat one another as family. Look at the word it says. It says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Philode- phileo. Brotherly love. That, that love storge for family. Love for one another. So we're to treat one another with, like family. But then he goes on, in honor giving preference to one another, telling us that we are to treasure others with respect. Not only treat them like family, but give them respect. Give them the honor. Give honor and preference to one another. The idea is, is not only to, to think of others before you think of yourself, which is something that's declared throughout Paul's writings, but even more than that, that you're not waiting for them to do it first. That you're doing it regardless. That you're doing it regardless. Non-hypocritical, sincere love. That sincere love is controlled by God's standards and careful of the feelings of others. But look at verse 11. It's also committed to the service of the Lord. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. So first we see this sincere love, it it, it has energy. It's not lagging. It's not lazy. It's energized. It has this energy. We also see it has enthusiasm. It says, fervent in the Spirit. What does that mean? That, that fervency in the Spirit, that's passion. That that love of God poured out in our lives is a passionate love. It's fiery. It wants to, to serve. It wants to go. It wants to do. So not only do we see it involving energy, that it's not lagging in diligence, but willing to go, and that it's passionate, fervent in the Spirit, but then we see that it is exalting in serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. In Ephesians 6, 5-8, through 8, listen, it says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Now a lot of people look at this section in Ephesians, they want to make this employees. And certainly you can make that connotation, but a bondservant is a slave by choice. And Paul would call himself a doulos, a bondservant. And anyone who's given their life to Christ should call themselves a doulos, a bondservant. So what does he say? He says to, to be obedient to your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Do what you do as though you're doing it for Jesus Christ. Passionate, fervent, diligent, serving. He goes on to say, not with eye service like men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as unto the Lord. Whatever we do, we do as unto the Lord, committed to the service of the Lord. We're diligent, not lazy, passionate, not not apathetic, and we are willing to serve, to to lift the name of Jesus Christ on high. Well, not only is not only do we see that love is controlled by God's standards and, and careful of the feelings of others and committed to the service of God, but then we also see it's confident in the power and plan of God. And that's something for both of those young ladies that we prayed for this morning, that they need to hold on to. Confident in the power and the plan of God. In verse 12 it says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. See, this love, this sincere love involves faith. And it involves faith in three things. Faith in the promises of God. Because we can rejoice in the promises of God. No matter what's going on, no matter what life has thrown you, what curveball, you don't have to rejoice in the fact that you lost your job. You don't have to rejoice in the fact that your life is sideways and upside down. You do have to rejoice always. What are we going to rejoice in? The promises of God. I can rejoice in hope. Because God has made promises to me. And I can cling to those promises and find my joy. Sincere love poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit of believers... That sincere love, let love be without hypocrisy. That love has faith in the promises of God and rejoices in the hope. It sees them as though they are going to take place. Rejoicing in hope. Those promises that God gives us. In fact, Paul writes about that concept in 2 Corinthians 6.10. It says, as sorrowful... Yet always rejoicing. If I'm sorrowful, how am I always rejoicing? As poor, yet making many rich. Oh, that, that doesn't make any sense. I'm poor, how, how can I make anybody rich? As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Because in Christ, you have all heavenly blessings. Every heavenly blessing. All earthly Blessings. You have everything that you need in Christ. You don't have everything you want. You have everything you need. Prayerfully, God's going to heal. But if God doesn't heal, He'll give strength for the journey. He'll give peace for the path. He will give everything that you need. Rejoicing in hope. That's what that love does. But it's also patient in tribulations. Patient in tribulation, That word patience is hupom, hupomene. Hupomene means to stay under. Now most of the time when things are going sideways and, and there's some, some pain involved, we do everything we can to get out from under, right? I don't want any of that. But I remember one of the things that we did in the Marine Corps when we were in boot camp, there was no such thing as get out from under the pain. You had to be patient in tribulation. What do I mean? Well, let's say you did something wrong. Well, they don't just punish you. They're going to punish the the 50 guys that are all there together with you. And you might as well just accept it because that ain't going to change. And what they're going to do is I I have literally, um, they called it getting thrashed when I was in so we're being thrashed in the Marine Corps, which means they just have you doing exercises, fast as you can do exercises, whatever they're calling out, you do. Until literally there were puddles of sweat on the ground. Puddles, not just wet. Puddles of sweat on the ground underneath us. But we learned that in, when you remain under the tribulation, there's always a benefit you receive. There's always something you learn. There's always something that's gained. And the worst case, you gained cardio. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes you learned lessons. Now, in in light of what that word means, consider what Paul wrote in in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. Listen to what Paul writes. Because this is a perfect example of hupomene, of patient in tribulation. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Perfect description of a love that is patient in tribulation. No matter what comes... Rejoicing in hope of the promises that have been given. And patient in tribulation. But then, not only that, praying continuously. Steadfastly in prayer. Steadfast. God does not just want to hear your voice once. He doesn't want you to get up in the morning and just pray one time and that's it. He doesn't want you to go to bed at night and just pray one time. The scripture calls... For you and I to pray without ceasing, to always have an attitude of prayer. Do you know that you can talk to God all day? You know that you don't have to to kneel, you don't have to fold your hands, you don't have to to raise your hands. All you have to do is talk to Him. He hears you. All day. Every day. So what is this sincere, non-hypocritical love? It continues steadfastly in prayer. It doesn't give up, doesn't frustrate, it doesn't say, man, I prayed and it hasn't happened. It continues to pray. Jesus told us, when I come to the earth, when I return, will I find faith? And the thing He pointed to as an example of whether or not He would find faith on earth is whether or not His people would continue to pray, even if they weren't getting what they were praying for. Because God's timing is perfect. He's never late, he's never early, he's right on time. So he lays this out, that we are to be continuously going to prayer, continuously. You can pray, you can pray every single day, all day long, for the healing of Jackie and Casey. You can do that all day long, and there's nothing wrong with that. And what if I do it and, and and things are still going on a couple of months from now? Well, show faith. Pray. Don't stop. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the prayer of faith just prays one time and had so much faith it only needed to pray once. That's not what Jesus said. He said, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, keep going before the Lord. Don't you stop. Men ought always to pray so they don't lose heart. This love, this love is is not hypocritical. This love is sincere. So it's always praying. It's patient in tribulation. It's patient in tribulation. It has faith and rejoicing in the hope of the promises of God. But not only do we see this love controlled by God's standards, not only do we see it... Careful of the feeling of others or committed to the service of God or even confident in the, in the power and the plan of God, but we also see it concerned with the needs of others. In verse thirteen it says Romans twelve thirteen, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. So this love's concerned about the need of others. Primarily, I, I see two groups here. I see two groups here. One it says to to uh help with the material and financial needs of the saints, distributing to the needs of the saints. At this time in the church, the church was the most persecuted group. In fact, if you want to go somewhere to find this the the, the area of what we're reading in scripture actually happening, go to Syria. Or or go to the go to the to the Middle East. You can go to Israel, go to anywhere where Christians are being persecuted, go to Iran and Iraq. Where ISIS is rolling through. That's what this world was like. So it says distributing to the needs of believers. You got refugees running from the persecution of Rome right and left. And, and he said this kind of love that sacrifices all for somebody else, not expecting anything in return, this sincere love, it gives what it's able to give for the needs of those who are hurting persecuted, struggling, and specifically to saints. Isn't that what it says? So we're supposed to take care of our own. We have a pride issue in the United States. I don't know if you guys knew that. We have pride issue in the United States. Particularly, uh, we have pride issues in Idaho. I know that's shocking. I know that's shocking. But in Idaho, a lot of times we think, um, I don't need to ask for help. I'm fine. I'll take care of this myself. But it was never God's way. God says, Ask. And He calls the brethren. He says, And you distribute to the needs of the saints. You got somebody among you who don't got no firewood, and winter winner is here. And you're able? Get them wood. Somebody don't have no oil for the heat, or somebody don't have no ability to pay electric bill. Here in the in the body of Christ, we should stand with the body of Christ. Amen. I can't stand with a body of Christ who don't tell me though. So, remember, abhor what is evil. What was the first thing on that list? Pride, right? Don't let pride rip you off, man. God wants to do great things. Let him. Let God help, let God be a part. So the first thing he says, that, that that love is is concerned about the material and financial needs of the saints. But the second thing he says is it's hospitable. Now that is a different word altogether. You know what that word literally means? It's, it's I can't say the second word, but it starts with phileo, which is like a brotherly love for the stranger. Love, it, literally it's stranger love. Or alien love. People outside. See the first part is to give for people on the inside. Take care of your own. You guys get what I'm talking about? And the second part is hospitality. Take care of the people outside. Stranger love. Love for the stranger. Love for the alien. Love for the person you don't know. Now they can be a brother or not a brother. But... Somebody that you didn't know, somebody who's in need, be hospitable. In their time, it was it was super rude, and still, a lot of Middle Eastern cultures are like this. That if you came into to town and you didn't have a place to stay, they put you in their house. They don't even know you. I had a a friend of mine have an opportunity to sit down and eat with uh, some of the the I don't know that if, it wasn't the king of Jordan, but it was some of his guys. And they sat down, they gave them a place to stay, they fed them, they took care of them because they were visiting Jordan. That's hospitality. We think of hospitality like we invite somebody over. Hey, hey, you want to come over and have dinner? I'm being hospitable. But biblical hospitality was the stranger. That was a dude you didn't know. That was a guy you didn't know. He calls us to be love, to be loving, Toward those outside to be loving on the inside. Now those are the 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 twelve adjectives or descriptions of what sincere love looks like. The characteristics of this sincere love, this love without hypocrisy. But then we come into verse we come into verse uh, uh, fourteen and we move to the commandments of love. It utterly changes. It stops describing the love and it tells you what this love does. Not what this love is, it tells you what this love does. What's it do in verse 14? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So love is complementary toward the persecutors. It's not seeking vengeance. We're going to see that in a moment. There's a couple of questions we should ask when we're being persecuted. Well, one of them is, why am I being persecuted? The Bible says, if you're being persecuted because you're a knucklehead then there's nothing special about that. Congratulations, you're being persecuted for being a knucklehead. We are called to be persecuted for being like Christ, not for being knuckleheads. So there's a difference there. In fact, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. What's that next word? Falsely. For my sake. That means it shouldn't be true. If it is true, that's not speaking all sorts of evil against you. That's speaking the truth. But if you're persecuted for for, for Christ, for His sake, in fact, 1 Peter 3.14, he, he builds on that same idea. Look at it. But even... If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats or be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So, The reason we're persecuted matters. If we're being persecuted for following what Christ is laying out for us, then hallelujah, blessed be He who is being persecuted. What's our response to our persecutors? Bless them. Man, isn't that what Jesus did? You guys remember them bracelets we used to run around with? WWJD, it wasn't what would Jackie do, it was what would Jesus do? Uh, (laughs) I'm going to claim the fifth because I don't want to... I know what I'm called to do. Bless him who persecutes you. Bless and do not curse. That's rugged. I just want you to realize that the time that that's given, the stuff you're watching on the news was happening downtown. Not... Thousands of miles away, they were doing that to Christians. six million Christians were killed during the time period when when the epistles of, of Paul are written. That's a lot of people. So when you recognize that in that atmosphere, not necessarily the atmosphere we experience, but in that atmosphere, he says, Bless them, bless them and do not curse." Who persecute you. The second thing we should ask ourselves. Not only why am I being persecuted. But then how should I respond. Matthew 5.12. This is what Jesus said. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets. Who were before you. What's our response when we're persecuted? The same as what Jesus said. We bless those who persecute us. And when we're persecuted, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Not because of the pain or the hassle. What are we rejoicing in? The promises of God. We already talked about that, right? Being patient in tribulation. We, we recognize that we can rejoice because we're being treated as the prophets were. That means our colors are clear. Everybody knows whose side you're on, right? You're wearing the right uniform. And that's important. That's important. So the the command that we see that, that love should bless those who persecute. Next we see in verse 15 that love's compassionate, rejoices with those who rejoice, and weeps with those who weep. I used to think this was weird. And then... Uh, part of a a marriage ceremony I heard, I actually put it into the ceremonies that I do now, kind of enlightened me. Do you know what happens when you rejoice with someone? You double the rejoicing. You multiply it. The more people who gather together and rejoice, the more joy there is. Do you know what happens when you weep with those who weep? You divide the pain. You divide it the more people who weep, the more divided the pain is. They don't, you don't have no magic words or some special little piece of wisdom to give. If you're willing and here commanded to rejoice with him who rejoices and weep with him who weeps, you multiply the joy and divide the sorrow of life. Man, that's... To me, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful concept that we look at. The compassion of love. Commanded, rejoice. Commanded, weep. With those who weep. Then in verse 16, he says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So the next commandment is the commandment that love should be considerate. That love is, is considerate. Well, first, it's accepting. Look what it says: "Be of the same mind toward one another." That means to be unified. That Jesus prayed in John chapter seventeen that that His church would be unified, right? Just like in the example He gives, that they would be unified, like me and the Father are unified. The relationship between Father and Son that would be the relationship between the church, and that would be the relationship between the church and Christ. That, that we would be unified. And so that's the call here. To be unified together with the mind of Christ. What's it say in Philippians 2, 5 through 8? Let this mind be in you. Be of the same mind. What mind are we supposed to have? Your mind or mine? Because if we gotta choose, you know, I like my mind better than I like your mind. Can we just, can we just be unified on my mind? No. What are we supposed to be unified on? The mind of Christ, right? Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Be of the same mind. Our unity is built around Jesus Christ. Our unity is not built around your hairstyle, or whether you have a beard or you don't, or you shave or you don't, or or you you tuck your shirt in or you leave your shirt out, or you wear a belt or you don't wear a belt. None of those things matter. Our unity is on Christ. Our, Our unity is in Christ. So we're accepting of one another. We find that unity together, being of one mind. Next We see the end of ambition. Selfish ambition. The Bible talks about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is your ability to lift yourself up. Well, here's how he said it with this. Do not set your mind on high things. You know, I'm going to help out in... In Sunday school, and then I'm just going to be looking for that promotion from Sunday school to youth. And then then i want to work in youth for a while, but I'm look for that promotion from youth to, to assistant pastor. And then then ultimately looking for that promotion from assistant pastor to, to pastor. I'm looking for, or I'm ambitious for, or I'm trying to climb some kind of ladder. He says, don't set your mind on high things. Don't exalt yourself. You know, David never did that. I love David. David never made himself king. He never did one thing to make himself king. 16 years old, the prophet comes to David, puts oil on his head, dumps it. Not like we do it today. He dumps oil, gushing, running down all over his face, and he says, David, you are king. And never one time did David go try to make himself king. He said, God said I'm king, then God's able to make me king. He don't need my help. And for years he waited. Years. Ten years alone living in a cave. Not a house. Just holding, rejoicing in the hope of the promise that God gave him. You're going to be king one day. How many times did he have Saul right where he could have took his head? I'll kill the king and I'll be king. What did David say? I will not touch God's anointed great example of no selfish ambition. No self exaltation. Do not set your mind on high things. Put away selfish ambition. Who cares who gets recognized? It's actually better if you don't get recognized, because then God remembers you. If we recognize you here, it's like, oh, that's it. (laughs) I I, I was out mopping the other day, and somebody walked by and said, oh man, thanks for mopping. Poof, there went my reward. I got (laughs) to I got to try and do that in the middle of the night when nobody's around. <laughs> no selfish ambition. But then, not only that, but he says he talks about our association. But associate with what? The humble. Man, I hope we always do that. I hope we always do that here. I hope we don't get all weird about that stuff. Man, everybody, anybody belongs. I don't care. What side of the track? I'm from the other side of the track. Y'all shouldn't have let me come in here. The more folks from that other side we can get in, the more comfortable I get. To associate with the humble. To associate with the humble. That we, that we, we want to be with those who are Lower. And that's a great heart. It's a commandment. Associate with the humble. Don't set your mind on on self-advancement, your selfish ambition. Be unified together with one another by the mind of Christ. And then he, He gives us what our attitude should be. And do not be wise in your own opinion. That is never good. That just doesn't sound good at all, does it? Oh, yeah, so you're wise in your own eyes. Oh, never a good statement. Jesus would say it like this. He'd say, when you come into a place and they're getting ready to eat, and they got a, a seat of honor, sit as far away from that as you can get. Man, i always done that. Always. If the front of the church was honor, I was in the back. And and actually, I'm like all you guys on the wall. Because I, the back row wasn't even far enough back for me. I've got to be further back. Jesus said, when you come in and they got a place of honor, stay far. Then if they, they bring you forward, great. But if they, you don't want someone to take you out of the seat of honor and say, hey, well, I don't know who you think you are, but this ain't for you. You're back at a bus, brother. He says, don't be, don't be wise in your own opinion. Don't be wise in your own. You want to be wise, be wise in the Word of God. But not in your own opinion. This is the, the attitude that we would have. A, a considerate love. And it's commanded there in verse 16. Now we look at verse 17. Uh, it says, Now repay no one evil for evil. Ah, can you listen to that? Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Repay no one. What? That's crazy. You sit and meditate on that a little bit? Ever been sucker punched? Oh, there's a couple guys here going, yeah, and I tattooed that dude right back. That's crazy. I'm just telling you what it says. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Good things for everybody. Love is constrained when it comes to evil. It repays no one with evil. Look at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So this love is commanded to reflect a desire for peace. If it is possible, in as much as depends on you, be at peace or live peaceably with all men. Then we see in verse 19, it refuses revenge. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. I want you to understand what that's saying. When it says, do not avenge yourselves, it's not to take into your own hands to get revenge for what somebody else has done. And then it says, but give, but, give place to wrath. Wrath is the word orge. It means God's predisposed judgment. It means rather than taking care of it yourself, you let God judge. No revenge. It's crazy. This is the kind of love God's calling us to. You want to read more about it? First Corinthians 13 looks just like this. Avenge. Do not avenge yourself and give place to wrath. God's predisposed judgment. And then if you understand that, the rest of it makes sense. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So who's going to take care of the revenge? God, right? God. God, and then he says, now while you're not doing revenge, because that was enough, right? To not, but there's two more verses. You didn't read those, did you? Because they get crazy. So not only am I not supposed to avenge myself for what people have done to me, I'm supposed to let God be the judge, but he takes it further. And he says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy, not just some guy out there. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. That's crazy. Let me tell you something. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. And this is the kind of love he wants to see in the the church. And if this was the kind of love that was being reflected in the church, the church would be viewed a lot differently than the church is viewed. This is how we're supposed to be. It's, it's a beautiful chapter to go through. Rugged chapter to meditate on. That's commands, man, not suggestions, commands. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. So you're Saeed. Just finished with your morning beating. And as you're headed back to the cell, they give you this little bowl of mush full of bugs and dirt and filth. And the guy who's putting you back in the cell just happens to mention how hungry he is. Now, you've been living on that stuff for two years. That's a delicacy to you. That might be the only meal you get all day. Could you give it to the guy who just beat you? And if you did, and he slaps it out of your hand and spills it all over the ground, and you did that every day, you don't think that will affect him? You think that there are people out there so hard that you pour that kind of love out on them that nothing changes? That's not what the rest of the Word declares. What's the rest of the Word say? If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, everybody talks about what that means and cause, because nobody likes the way it sounds. I, I can't make, I'm not going to make an apology for what God's Word says. And I'm not going to try to do some, some kind of dance around it to make it sound better. Let me tell you, if you, if you go back to the Old Testament and you read how it's quoted, the, the next thing that we're told in this verse is that God will judge them for what they've done more harshly because of the way you love them in the middle of all that persecution. And I don't have a problem with that. Now, the the other guy says, well, your motivation is to get him judged harder. No, it doesn't say that's my motivation. It says that's the result. That dude I love on who's my enemy, that guy I feed when he's hungry and I give drink when he's thirsty, he's got the opportunity to receive it, allow allow the love of God to change his heart and to turn. He goes to condemnation and judgment. That was his choice. He went eyes open all the way. And I don't make no apology for that. I don't gotta. And it's not my goal. My goal is to love him till he changes. When do I get to stop loving him? Well, you can't say when he's not your enemy no more. Because earlier it said I'm supposed to love the brothers too. So I just gotta love him all the time? Yeah, no matter what. Love him all the time. God will take care of it. That's not my job. My job, the command that He gives me is summed up in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man. That's a love chapter. All about the characteristics of love and the command of love. The love of God that has been poured out in the life of you and me by the Holy Spirit. When we gave our life to Christ and the Holy Spirit entered into our lives, the love of God was poured into our life. That love. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, that the ability to love like that is in you. That's why it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. I got to choose it. I got to choose. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Let the love of God dwell richly in you. Let the love of God constrain you. Let it be our motivation. Well, how do we do that? You know, a, a lot of the church, I think struggles with the, with some of those concepts because, because we 're afraid of so many things we 're afraid of of what things mean and what 's going to happen if this happens or what 's going to happen if I let that happen. Look, the Bible talks about an empowering of the Holy Spirit. the Bible talks about a baptism of the holy Spirit we talked about it before um, uh, you, know, it's just I, you know it 's just semantics you know it is god 's empowering through his holy Spirit for a believer. Over and over and over again, you have the, uh, the apostles praying for the filling, the indwelling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And calling it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we want to be able to function in that love. We can walk around and complain about how I don't have the strength and I can't seem to do it, and I keep trying, but I can't. Or we can recognize that everything that we need for godly living has been given to us. Everything we need, all we have to do... Is ask. That's it. But when's the last time you ask God for the empowerment or the baptism of His Holy Spirit so you could love like He wants you to? But that's the one thing. Jesus didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples by your ability to speak in tongues. He didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples by the gifts of prophecy that you have. Or the word of knowledge. What did he say? They'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other. We need that empowerment. We need that ability to be the men and women God's calling us to be. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank You. We praise Your holy name, Lord Jesus, for what You have done, what You're working, what You're doing in our midst. For God, indeed, You are true. And Lord, I pray, God, even as You are declaring here in Your Word that that this is what the practice of the righteousness of God looks like. We're living for the Lord. We're We're that living sacrifice, wholly dedicated, totally to Him. And it's seen in how we love. The love of God. The love of God that's been given to us. The love of God that's been poured out on us. The love of God that we've been equipped to go out and change the world with. The love of God that we just don't always seem to want as much as we want other things. Because this love's hard. I've got to love my enemy. I've got to feed him. And give him drink to the man who just took my house, who just took my children. God, you're you're calling us to a world-altering love that is empowered by your Holy Spirit, and is one of the gifts given. And the one thing Jesus pointed to and said, this is important, how you love each other. So let our love be sincere. Let our love be real. Let our love be without hypocrisy. That we would reach out to lay hold of these characteristics of this love that's been poured into our lives. And that we would hold fast to the commands of this love that you've given us, God, that we might express who you are and what you want to a world that is has no idea what love really is. God, I pray that we, your church, would be empowered by that love, God, that you would pour your Holy Spirit out in this place. And do a work in the life of every man and woman, boy and girl here that we might love that way. That you would be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.